Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? <laughs> well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. <laughs> Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hogg, and now from Max FunCon in Lake Arrowhead, California, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thanks, Helen. Thank you, everybody. My goodness, what a crowd, what a time. Helen, Max FunCon, this is your first Max FunCon, my first Max FunCon. It's what are your amazing. impressions thus far? It's amazing. It really is like summer camp for grown-ups. Yeah, right? Uh, I've been uh, already in a puppetry workshop. I have uh, had more uh, different alcohols in the past 24 hours. Right. I drank a little, I had a tequila concoction and then a bourbon concoction. Now, and now we are at altitude. Are you adjusting for that in your drinking? Oh, I was trashed. Oh, I okay. was absolutely right. snockered. And I was like, I was at the taping last night. Uh, what was last night? See, I don't even remember what we were that watching. That was the, the Beef and Dairy Network I watched podcast the was beef. last night. Sure. I was sitting in the Beef and Dairy Network podcast taping just wasted, just like slumped in my chair like, this is hilarious, but my head is so heavy right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just drink my way through it, and, uh, and I trust that you'll uh, carry us through. Yeah. Well, let, let the caring begin. <laughs> Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics, and finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first? He is the host and executive producer of Snap Judgment, which you can hear on public radio as a podcast and live on tour this fall. It's Glenn Washington! Glenn Washington! <laughs> Thank you for having me. Uh, now, uh, people here are very familiar with your work, of course, on Snap Judgment. And as well, you gave a seminar here at Max FunCon earlier today. I did. I got to talk about Jesse's favorite uh, subject, which is storytelling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and what, was, what was the main takeaway? What was, if, we, if we could only look at one PowerPoint slide from that presentation, what would it say? Go small. Oh. Really? That's right. Oh, Go small. Talk from the heart. Go. These big firework stories are all well and good, but mm -hmm. they're for the cineplex. When you want to tell a story, make it really as small as you can. Oh, that's right. counterintuitive. Yeah. Right. Maybe this is why I've been failing at my storytelling endeavors, because every time I try to tell a story, I'm like, and then... Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of CGI in your storytelling. Yeah. Unusual. Yeah, and uh, people are like, that didn't happen. Now, I'm fascinated by how Snap Judgment started, because you won a contest. I got it out of a, a, a you know, one of those, like, Cracker Jack boxes. <laughs> well, not quite that. I really you did. To, you had to submit some material, I suppose, for public radio consumption. I did, and it was a little bit crazy. Every week for um, some time, they, they would kick one of ten people off a virtual island mm -hmm. and eventually I win you were the one left That's what? I was the one standing wow and, and you won a million dollars I presume I did not no what? <laughs> I did not wait but your prize was a, a series on public radio I mean that's pretty no it was oh, not oh okay no okay. it wasn't well we've well, got that crack research staff just uh, really <laughs> really on top of it what did, you, what did you win Glenn I won the ability to make a show the problem was they didn't have anyone to distribute it so um, that's all well and good. You've got a great show that your parents can listen to. That was really, really, that was kind of how, how, what we want. Interesting. Now, you, now, uh, you describe Snap Judgment as storytelling with a beat. Right. Why does storytelling need a beat? What does a beat add to storytelling? Actually, if, Ellen, if you could drop a few bars for me right quick. Oh. So I could. Go, Helen. Boom, 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 boom. 
So what Snap Judgment is a storytelling with the beat. We want the heart, we want the soul, we want the up, we want the down in order to get those stories across. Oh, Snap! <laughs> well done. Wow! Now I know why it's called Snap Judgment, because I was like, oh, Snap! Self! And we are filled with judgment. <laughs> uh, I say that with love. Uh... <laughs> Now, uh, you also do these live shows. What, what do people see at a live show that they're not going to get from, from uh, listening to it, besides, you know, outfits? Well, yeah, the outfits are amazing. Yeah. I must say, my jacket collection is on point. Yes. Um, but what, what happens is, you know, when you're telling a story, uh, most Snap Judgment stories are these, these huge 10-hour interviews that are condensed into 10 minutes. Mm. And um, people are not supposed to know how to tell a story. That's our job. Mm. But when you go on a Snap Judgment stage... Everyone that goes on the stage, they know how to rock it, mm-hmm. and they know how to bring you along. And they've got that amazing band. We've got this band, Bell's Atlas. They, they're made of magic. And uh, I can't wait. If you haven't seen Snap Judgment Live, see Snap Live. Yeah, that's an endorsement yeah. from, well, actually from you. That really is not much of <laughs> I will say, because I am a fan of Snap Judgment, and I do listen to your podcast, and your life is so so much more interesting than my life. Like, you've, like, lived in other countries and you've had all these crazy things happen to you and I'm like, why am I so boring? No. No. This is what I'm trying to say. That All that stuff is a lot of fun and I have had some crazy stories. There's no question about it. But... I really think that the storytelling that matters is not about all those fireworks. It's a story. It's a it's the relationships. It's the it's the 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 story between you and your kids, you and your mama, the um the the roommate who showed up late. When you get those stories right, that's when you make magic. You know what I'm learning from this? Start small. Starts go small. Go small. Go small. Go small. I messed up the old the old points. Go small. Excellent. Well, we hope you go big today with your winning, and we went big. I'm gonna try to try this all together. We went big because we've got Glenn Washington, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Oh my God. Uh, that was good, Jake. I shouldn't make segues at altitude. It's dangerous. <laughs> Helen, against whom will Glenn be playing today? She is an actor who's best known for her recurring role on Parks and Recreation and stars on the scripted fantasy podcast Bubble right here on Woo! Maximum Fun Network. It's Allison Becker. Allison Becker. Yay! Yay! Yay. Nice to see you guys. I have to say that Glenn and I exchanged a few words backstage, and I was like, "What do you do, Glenn?" And I'm ignorant, and he was like, "I'm a radio host." And then when I heard you out here, I was like, "Wait, you're the host of Snap Judgment?" <laughs> <laughs> I listen to you all the time. Oh my God, very, very kind <laughs> arch, arch enemy, a, a comedy gal, and, and an actor. Wait till, wait till he hears what you've done. Yeah. Nothing, nothing. Well, I don't know. Uh, some people might remember you well, as Shauna Malway Tweep on me. Parks and Recreation. Thank you. Wowie, Zowie. Snaps to that. Wow. Yeah. So uh, uh, how did that uh, how did that get to be a recurring role for you? Was that something that uh, you knew going in this was going to be uh, something I'd be returning for? I did not know going in. I actually, um, at a, uh, the same week, I auditioned for uh, the role that Ellie Kemper eventually got on The Office. Uh, and then I auditioned for this uh, role on the new Amy Poehler project. Uh, that's what it was called at the time. And I remember I had just moved to L.A. and I didn't have furniture yet. And it was an unusually cold night in Los Angeles. It was like in the 40s. And I uh, was in my new apartment and my agent called and said you didn't get the office and I sat on my floor and I started to cry and then I got a don't worry it has a good ending and then (laughs) I got another phone call from a casting director in New York uh, who's a friend of mine she's like Becker 
nobody knows who your agent is. You booked the Amy Poehler show. And I was like, oh, my God. I was so excited. Um, and I, I was in the second episode, and uh, which I think aired as the third episode eventually. And I didn't know it was recurring, but it turned out to be a great fun role in one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> it was wonderful. Amazing. I love watching. I've, I've rewatched the show a bunch of times, and I always love when you, when, when you pop up in, in that you. role. Uh, now, you must get recognized a lot from that and from other stuff you do. But, but do people know, oh, you're Alison Becker who played this role, no. and that's why I'm excited I, to see you? Because I sometimes that happens, and I'm very grateful when that does happen. But because I've never had like a main role in a big thing, it's been like recurring or like a guest star here, a guest star there. I was a, a VJ for a while. Um, I, I'm in your psyche somewhere, <laughs> so I get a lot of like, did we go to school together? <laughs> and I, I never want to say like, well, I'm on TV because the few times that I'm like, oh, I'm on TV, <laughs> people will be like, no, you just go to my gym. <laughs> Like, oh, I feel really. It keeps you humble, this business. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do you get a lot of that? Like, are you that girl in that thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or tell me why I you're famous. Remember. Tell me what you're no, in no, that no, I know. No, because I need yeah. attention and yeah. I don't okay. care. <laughs> but I feel like parks and recreation fans, in particular, are such rabid fans. Like, I guest starred on one episode of Parks and Recreation, literally for like 37 seconds, <laughs> and I have had people grab my arm, and be like, Oh my god. Yeah. And I'm like, I was on it for 37 seconds. And you were on it like as a recurring, so people must people must stop and, well, you the and the other go. thing I should say about Parks fans is they're all such good people because it is like a you know it's funny but it's one of those shows that like you can watch with your friends but also like your parents think is funny because it's like clean it's humor wholesome. as my mom, would, my mom would say yeah she's like I, you don't have that language <laughs> um, but yeah it's, that's why and, and the fans are great yeah now speaking of auditioning as you were uh, on Instagram you do a very interesting thing where you post audition looks I do uh, and, and I am in a hopefully not creepy way fascinated by this feed <laughs> Thank you. Because uh, you, will, you will post a description of what the audition calls for and then a photo of what you wore to that audition. Yeah, I've, I've been auditioning for, and most of my life, like I said, I do these smaller parts on, on bigger shows. So most of my life is auditioning. People ask me, what do I do day to day? I'm like, I go to like two or three auditions a day and I change in my car a lot. Uh, a lot of people in LA have seen me in my underwear just by driving by. <laughs> oh, I me too, for but that. for different reasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll talk to you later, Helen. Um, but... Yeah, I so I wanted to have fun with it. So I started just keeping a log of these auditions I did and posting the the descriptions as well. I don't say what the project is because you can't really do that, but I'll say what the description is. And they are very often comically dehumanizing, <laughs> often sexist. Um, and like if it's a commercial audition, they often say uh, attractive but not a model. And I'm always like, Okay, I never said I was a model. I, I don't know why you're saying that. Or they'll, or it'll be like you know, looks like she doesn't work out a lot. And I'm like, uh, okay, thanks. Yeah. I guess thanks I, for I submitting qualify me for, for that. This. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, my favorite yeah. is hot but approachable. Hot but approachable. Yeah. yeah. A real person is a thing a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting face. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Sounds like an insult. Yeah. When I was when I was auditioning for a lot of commercials, I mostly had either uh, I, I well I finally they bought my own lab coat. Lab <laughs> was one of those guys. Yeah. When you get a to lot a of scientists, age, you need a lot of lab yeah. coats. Yeah. Yes, there are a lot of act. There are a lot of people Doctors. you will meet in LA who have lab coats in their closet. Um, yeah. As an Asian actress, oh. I own four lab coats. Oh, whoa! Overachiever over here. I own. I own a doctor one, a pharmacist one, a lab tech one, and then just one like kick around the house it's one. So true. A house lab coat. Just. 
Glenn, now are you impressed? I am impressed. All right, we've got two Good wonderful Lord. guests, Glenn Washington and Allison Becker, each impressive <laughs> in their own way. Now, Allison and Glenn, we ask each of you to provide us with a few topics outside of your field of work in which you feel you have expertise. Glenn, you said you know a lot about the original Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> the King James Bible. Uh-huh. That's right. And, of course, Michael Jackson. Ah, right. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about each of those topics. First, you said you know a lot about the original Star Trek. Well, I probably shouldn't have said that to this group. <laughs> um, exactly. I, um, I love Star Trek. Hey, you know, look, I can live long and prosper with the best of them. All right. And then you also said you know a lot about the King James Bible. Yes, I grew up in an apocalyptic end of days Jesus racist cult. So, um, like, I need I, to hear everything about this later. Over time. I, yes, I'll tell you all about Thank it. You. But uh, I, I probably have a little bit of a unique version of those books, but oh, okay. I, I, uh, I know all about them. All right. Wow. And then finally, you said you know a lot about Michael Jackson. Come on. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I believe that's pronounced Jamon. Jamon. <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. I had the Jerry Curl and everything. Oh, okay. Very good. And Allison, you said you know a lot about divorce ranches. Whoa, 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 what? Uh, for those who don't know, divorce ranches were uh, uh, facilities that popped up in Nevada after the divorce laws changed there that allowed people who wanted to get divorced to establish residency in Nevada. They'd hung, hang out at this ranch for a while. Yep, six become, weeks. Okay, become a resident, and then they'd be eligible for, for a quick And it was usually divorce. just the women who were sent there because the men had to stay at home and work. Um, and these women lived in basically these ranches. They were like old dude ranches, and <gasps> they like did all these things, and they had sex, and they gambled, and they hung out with cowboys, and they discovered themselves. And I become fascinated with this, I'm pitching a TV show about it. All right. Wow. Yeah. All right. This you sounds amazing. Absolutely. Uh, you also said you know a lot about Seinfeld episodes. Yes, just by, I've, I realize I've seen every one. Uh, it's not something I'm obsessed with, but I love it, but, um, but I'm not like a fanatic about it, but I've even seen the one that where Jerry talks to his own ghost. Does anyone remember that episode? It's so rare. I've seen it. All right. And then finally, you said you know a lot about Bon Jovi. I am from New Jersey. I have seen Bon Jovi live 22 times. <gasps> no! And I have, I'll tell you the story later, made out with him. Allison strutting about the stage. She oh, literally good. dropped no. the mic. It wasn't really and a makeup, but it was a kiss. It was a kiss. <laughs> Wait, I, why tell it later? I okay, need to know I'll now. Tell the truncated version. I was a VJ, like I said, on VH1, and every week I would host a show called the Top Twenty Show. Every uh, Top Twenty Countdown. Every week we would interview a new, a different musician and, and make out with them. <laughs> make out with them. Yeah. yeah. And the I would get the press packet from my producer, and one week they give me the. They said tomorrow you're interviewing Bon Jovi. I said very funny. They said no seriously I said very funny they said no seriously I was like very funny and I was like oh my god I'm interviewing Bon Jovi I freaked you out. had already been like a rabid fan yeah everybody who knows me knows this okay um, I, I will I will corroborate that when I, I told Jordan Morris that you were on the show he said oh is she doing Bon Jovi yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, and I started the interview by saying when I was a little girl growing up in New Jersey I had two dreams one of them was to own a pet dolphin named Oliver <laughs> and the other was to make out with John Bon Jovi and I don't think either of those are going to come true and he grabbed me and kissed me um. and then he said cue the dolphin wow. 
<laughs> He's funny. He's funny. <laughs> I, I think everyone I here. Say, I think everyone here agrees the best part of that story: informed consent. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Yeah, I was gonna say. Affirmative consent affirmative is very consent. big here at Max mm-hmm. Con. Absolutely. And uh, you clearly made it clear. Yes, Bon Jovi, you oh, may yeah. make out with oh, me. Oh yeah, he And he was good. like, "Here it comes, baby." Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, if we don't do that as a topic tonight, we may have to bring you back as our Bon Jovi expert for somebody fair. else. Oh, that's fair. I Excellent. love it. I love well, it. Well, later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. Now, if either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your subject today, Lake Arrowhead. Which is where we are right now. On brand. Here we go. Uh, Up first, Glenn with Lake. Glenn, they both can provide you with a refreshing swim, a fresh fish, or a place to dump a body. But (laughs) while geographers are sloppy with the distinction, according to limnologists, people who study bodies of water, what is the difference between a lake and a pond? A lake and a pond. (laughs) Glenn is smiling. Now he seems to be scowling. His face is furrowed. A lake is a large stationary body of water that is fed by some sort of estuary or river where a pond does not have that same sort of access to the river or something like that. It's just singular. It's not fed by anything. By the way, how about a round of applause for estuary, right? We don't even know if he's right, but my goodness. As he's wearing a blazer for our he listening is audience. Blazer. He should win based on that I need a lab coat is what I need. <laughs> I know Helen's got some extras. Uh, all right, we have Glenn's answer. We don't know yet if he is correct. Allison, uh, what do you think? Hearing that, it sounds correct, but just for the sake of competition and winning, I'm going to give a different answer. Um, I, I think it's a size alone. I think a lake is larger and a pond is tinier. I don't know the size difference, but a pond is smallish and a lake is largish. All right. Largest and smallest. This is the degree of accuracy we deal with here on Go Fact Yourself. All right. Well, this segment is drowning, so let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. According to The Biology of Lakes and Ponds by Krister Bronmark and Lars Anders That's Hansen. a book? That is a book. Wow. Yes. Okay. On your nightstand currently, I yes. believe, Helen. <laughs> yes. Me and Lars Anders Hansen, we go way back. Um, I just hang out with limnologists. That's all. <laughs> I'm more of a Bronmark man myself. <laughs> According to these two pond bros, uh, Hashtag lake, pond bros. lake and pond bros, yes. there are three questions that are used to generally distinguish ponds from lakes. Does light reach the bottom of the deepest point of the water body? Yikes. Ooh. Does the one. water body only get small waves? Is the water body relatively uniform in temperature? If these questions can be answered with a yes, the water body is likely a pond and not a lake. So the difference between them is the depth, the waves, and the uniformity of temperature. What about the estuary? (laughs) The pond bros say nothing about Uh, estuary. You don't get more points for just saying the word more. (laughs) I'd love if that comes up as an answer later in the show, by the way. Uh, No, Helen, that is right. Uh, And the main difference of those attributes is the depth. Uh, LakeMat.com specifies that for limnology, ponds are shallow enough where plants could conceivably grow across the entire surface. This area where plants could grow is known as the photic zone, meaning where the sun's rays can reach the bottom. A lake, by contrast, has an aphotic zone, meaning there is an area deep enough that sunlight cannot reach the bottom, a spot where plants cannot grow. So what does that mean as far as our points go, Helen? Glenn, I'm afraid I don't think you got any points because, unfortunately, estuary did not come up. Uh. 
and it has nothing to do with uh, getting fed by a river or anything. Allison, I think I'm going to give you half a point. I'll take that. For, <laughs> yeah, because you did mention uh, size, and there is something about the depth. I said the very scientific terms, largest and smallest. Right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, very good. Once again, size matters. I don't... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yet you say go small. Uh. Interesting. <laughs> Up next, Allison, your topic, Arrowhead. Okay. Allison, they both are people who make items that belong in an archer's quiver. But what is the difference between an Aerosmith and a Fletcher? An Aerosmith and a Fletcher. Uh, I have no idea. All so right. my guess is an Aerosmith makes the arrows and a Fletcher makes the bows. All right. You think an Aerosmith makes the arrows and a Fletcher makes the bows? Yes. Okay. Correct. Uh, Glenn, what do you think about that? You can steal the points if she's incorrect. Yeah, I think an Aerosmith. I think a Fletcher makes the shafts. I think an Aerosmith probably has to do with that head there. Makes the head. <laughs> you, just oh, you, guys. You. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are so silly Alright, this segment has hit its mark Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the fact Here are the facts According to the Craft Guild of Traditional Bowyers and Fletchers A Fletcher makes almost all the parts of an arrow and assembles it This includes selecting and shaping the right timber Making the knot the footing and pile, which are all arrow parts, as well as the fletching, which is the feathers that help make an arrow fly true. An aerosmith, like a blacksmith, forges arrow heads, usually from iron or steel. There are also... <laughs> there are also bowyers who make bows, and there are even people who make strings for bows who are called stringers or string fellows. That's right. So basically, a Fletcher is a person who makes arrows, and an Aerosmith is a person who makes arrowheads. And Fletcher Aerosmith is a character who appears in three issues of a comic book published by Wildstorm. <laughs> I thought some of you would appreciate that. What does that mean as far as our points go, Helen? I think Allison did not get that correct. You are correct. Yes. <laughs> but Glenn got two points because he got both, Glenn. both marks of that correct. What? He's wearing a blazer. Yes. And we got through that without anyone making an Aerosmith joke. Like Love in an Elevator. Or J I thought about it. I was, I was trying to come up with one. <laughs> That's all right. I think we all were. Yes. We don't want to leave him crying. Mm. Uh, Helen, what does that mean as far as our score at the end of that first round? <laughs> at the end of that first round, Allison Becker has half a point and Glenn Washington has two points. What? <laughs> These scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Listen, we already know that you love genre movies, film craft, and female filmmakers. So, if you love all those things, then by transitive property, you love my podcast, Switchblade Sisters. Hi, I'm film critic April Wolf. Every week, I have a conversation with a different female filmmaker about their favorite genre film. Each episode covers the filmmaking process, working in the film industry, and just like general geeking out about awesome movies. I've had such great guests like the big sick writer Emily Gordon. To me, indie movies as of late have come to be a catch-all term for a movie that kind of defies genre. Billy Madison and half-baked director Tamara Davis. When a comedian comes and enters onto my set, they're, th they're just there to be funny and we're all ready and waiting for them to be funny. Horror industry veteran and actor Barbara Crampton. That's where real drama lies for me. What's What's between you and I speaking right now? Where, where are we meeting? 
and what's the energy that we create between us. And so many others. So check out Switchblade Sisters every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you like trivia? Well, you're listening to a trivia podcast, so I'm guessing yes. Well, you know what? I do too. In fact, aside from hosting Go Fact Yourself, a highlight of my week is playing in a live trivia night with friends at a local bar. And the great people at Geeks Who Drink host weekly live trivia nights in over 1,000 bars, restaurants, and craft breweries in 48 states. It's free to play, you can win prizes, and the trivia is top-notch. Their editor-in-chief is six-time Jeopardy! champion Christopher Short. And if you really want to put yourself to the test, check out Geek Bowl, America's largest trivia night, hosted annually by Geeks Who Drink. The next Geek Bowl will be in Las Vegas on March 2nd, 2019. For information on Geek Bowl, weekly trivia nights, or their special theme quizzes, go to geekswhodrink.com. That's geekswhodrink.com. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Glenn Washington with two points and Allison Becker with half a point. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen Hahn. Thank you, everybody. What a crowd. Glenn, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the original Star Trek, the King James Bible, and Michael Jackson. Right. Today, we want to talk to you about the King James Bible. Oh. Not sure if this crowd was rooting for that one, but hey, we'll all learn something. It is an important piece of literature, Uh at the very least. Uh, Glenn, tell us a little bit more about your background and why you became so familiar with the King James Bible. Well, when I was a kid, we were put into small rooms and told to read it until the man came and said to stop. And um, and this is not that's not an exaggeration or a euphemism. That no, is a real. You, that's a real cult situation. I was in a um, an end of days cult. We in the 1980s. I remember a guy coming up on the stage and saying, "Brother, if you think we're gonna make it through the 1980s without seeing the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, you got another thing coming." <laughs> Turned out he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> It's weird how so many of these doomsday cults get their predictions wrong. Although Bon Jovi did come into the scene in the 80s, so I'm just saying. (laughs) We'll talk about your Lord and Savior later. Right. Uh, Right. I I was living on a prayer the whole time. Well, let me ask you this. Let yeah. me ask you this. What, what was it about the King James Bible that these people felt was the, the, the proper text to study in order to prepare for doomsday? Well, like everything else, the man said so. Um, <laughs> we had a founder, Herbert W. Armstrong, and he said that this was the one inspired uh, version of the text. And so that's where that's what we had to study. But you never knew why. It could have just been he just got a, a bulk discounter. I, I, we never got that. I was a kid. I didn't really, I couldn't question the, the, the wisdom and the, you know, the, the whatever, the, the understanding of someone so wise as Herbert W. Armstrong. How old were you when you got out? I was in my late teens. Wow. I was a true believer. And how many times do you think you've read cover to cover the, the King James Bible? I read it in, in, um, in bunches and batches and mm-hmm. stuff like that, but probably all together, maybe five or six. Oh. Wow. And when was the last time you uh, opened a King James Bible? In my late teens. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so this will be some, this will be some long-term memory uh, uh, recall. Yeah. Uh, did you get any value from it, though? Was, was there anything from the, from the Bible, from that version of the Bible, that, that provided value to your life later? You know what? Um, a little while ago, a buddy of mine, his uh, father came over and was like so happy that his son, my my friend, had taught his kid the Bhagavad Gita, and he was like, and he's like, your son, he knows it so well, and then the father left and he was so pleased, but when he left, my buddy said, you know, he also knows the Bible, the Quran, 
Harry Potter, <laughs> and um, you know, and, and everything else. I think that when you read anything, it helps you in a, in a certain type of way. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I wish I hadn't read it the way I read it, but sure. um, I think that I think you should. I think reading is good. Yeah. I'm R.I.G. Reading yeah. is good, everybody. <laughs> Read, read, reading under duress of a cult, yeah. not so yeah. good. <laughs> reading is good. Yeah. All right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the King James Bible to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show off, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. Now, if you want it, you're allowed a hint for any two of these five questions. Right on. Now, Allison, do listen closely because if Glenn answers incorrectly and you know the correct answer, you can steal. By the way, Allison, how much do you know about the King James Bible? Well, I did go to Catholic school, so I know a Bible-ish stuff. Bible-ish. <laughs> like, I got you a half point before. But, so. yeah, yeah, but I uh, definitely didn't read it, yeah, in a, in a, locked in a room five times. All right. Well, let's see, uh, let's see if we can make some good come out of that experience for you. This will be worth it, right? If, it all, uh, if you win a game show, it'll have all finally, been worth it. Finally, it'll be <laughs> Oh, great. This Here's question great. number one about the King James Bible. The King James Bible was commissioned by King James, ruler of what country? England. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> he was King James I of England, King James VI of Scotland. Uh, here's question number two. One edition of the King James Bible came to be known as the Wicked Bible because it contained a misprint that eliminated what key word from one of the Ten Commandments? A misprint in the Bible? Mm-hmm. It eliminated a key word in one of the Ten Commandments. You do have a hint available um, if you'd like to use it. I would like that hint, actually. Helen, how about that hint? Marriage would be much more exciting if this were the actual commandment. The word would have been man. Helen. That is not correct. Not correct. I'm sorry, Allison, with a chance to steal. I'm going to guess. I don't remember what commandment it was, but it's thou shall not uh, covet thy neighbor's wife. And I'm going to guess that the word missing is not. Helen. That is correct. That is correct. It was, actually, it was actually a different commandment. It made the commandment read, Thou shall commit adultery. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so, God. Uh, all right, Glenn. Let's nice. See you, let's see if you can bounce back with this one. Yeah. After Judas betrays Jesus, he dies twice. In what two ways does Judas die? He hanks himself. All right. And he's stoned. And he's stoned? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so he got stoned, and then what did he do? Man? Yeah. No, no kidding. Uh, Helen, is that correct? That is not correct. No, I'm sorry, Allison, again with a chance to steal. Oh, gosh, I can't even think of ways to die back then. Um, yeah. He was poisoned, uh, and he committed Harry Carey. Poisoned and Harry Carey. Helen? That is not correct. No, you don't see, you don't see a lot of Harry Carey in the Bible. <laughs> no, uh, not enough. By, the, by that name, anyway. Yeah. No, he did hang himself. That was in the book of Matthew. And later he fell and his intestines burst open. What? That was in the book of Acts. I want to see that movie. Yeah. <laughs> he disemboweled himself. Yes. What? But I, I, I don't get half that. a point. Helen, does he get half a point? Sure. All right, yeah. he gets half a point. All right. That's <laughs> the squeaky wheel. We don't usually do that, but hey, it's Max Funcon. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, here's question I'm drunk. Number... <laughs> <laughs> I've been drunk the whole time I've been here. Half a point, sure. Yes. Number four. Daniel sees a very well-known image that had feet of clay. While its feet were made of clay, what was its belly made of? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I-, I would like a hint at this point. Helen, how about that second hint? 
bronze. In other versions of the Bible, it's bronze. Ow! That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, then we're going to have to go with another metal, and let's go with iron. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry. Allison, a chance to steal. I will say I have no idea, so I'm just going to guess because it's the same color, gold. Helen, was it gold? That is not oh, correct. Oh, who wouldn't love a belly full of gold? Ooh, no, me. no. It, uh, no, it was brass. It was brass. Oh. So same color, but, but, but a little off. All right, and finally, here's number five for you, Glenn. What edible treat grew out of Aaron's rod? <laughs> Let's all be adults. Let's use our adults. <laughs> Ears, minds, and voices. As we talk about an edible treat... That sprung from Aaron's rod. <laughs> Jay Keith was so adult when he wrote this question. He was like, hee <sighs> Manna. Manna. Was it manna? It Ellen? was not No, manna. I'm terribly sorry. Allison, again, a chance to steal. Again, I can't even think of a treat from <laughs> biblical times. Hmm? Uh, uh, cookies. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> I think we would have a lot more Christians <laughs> if cookies came out of Aaron's rod. I'm going to modify weed cookies. Was it? <laughs> Yay! I think she gets a point. <laughs> Helen, was that dream Bible passage? Uh, <laughs> reality in the King James? I feel like Aaron would have had way more followers yeah. if that were the case. No, that is not the case. No, no, it was almonds. Almonds. Oh. In number 17, it sure. spru- almonds sprouted from his rod. <laughs> Uh, All right, you struggled a little bit there, but I think you might be able to bounce back. Uh, It is now time for your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Whoa. Da-da-da. We we, we stay with ooh. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This question is so high-level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The answer is worth up to three points. Right on. Here you go, Glenn. According to the Bible, people used to live a lot longer than they do now. Who were the three oldest people in the King James Bible, clocking in at 950, 962, and 969 years old? Okay. So. (laughs) Allison is gobsmacked. Right. I want to tell you the answer to this, Allison. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I'm going to tell you one. So the oldest person was Methuselah. All right. But the other two, I got to say, I'm a little bit uh, shaky on. So I'm going to, um, do I get a, do I get a no, no, no consultations? There are no, no hints in right. the cluster fact. So um, the old Unless we're changing that, Helen, because it's an excellent fun gun. <laughs> what? I'm drunk. All right. <laughs> um, the, so let's see. It's, gonna be, it's definitely going to be Methuselah. And um, I think, um, let's go uh, the uh, Adam's son... Kane. Kane, all right. And then I'm going to go for the last one, maybe Adam himself. Adam himself. Okay, so we have Methuselah, Kane, and Adam. All right, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have? Here with us tonight, we have a musician, puppeteer, and former Methodist minister. It's Jason Hill. Jason Hill, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Hello, I'm Jason. I'm so excited to be on your show. Out of all the podcasts I've ever been on, this is one of them. Oh! <laughs> no, actually, it's my Thanks first. Thanks for coming. It was Jason Hill. <laughs> High Jason, praise. Helen, High praise. Helen, that is probably one of the more unique introductions that we've ever had for an expert on this show, because you actually were teaching a workshop here about puppetry. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about your, your history as a musician and a puppeteer. Okay. Well, and it's actually interesting, because I grew up, too, in a racist, apocalyptic <gasps> Jesus cult. Wow. Called- I didn't. 
called the <laughs> hold on called the Southern Baptist Church. Helen did say former Methodist minister. <laughs> and when I was about two and a half, they had a puppet show at church, and I had always loved puppets on TV, and I was like, oh my gosh, they're real, they exist. Ah! And ever since then, I've been a little obsessed. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your ministerial education and background. Okay, so um, I've been on church staff since I was 15 years old. I was an early starter, um, specifically in music, and uh, went to seminary, uh, went to Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary, which is the seminary that actually started Northwestern in Evanston. So oh. I'm a Northwestern grad. Wow. And um, uh, the ordination process for many denominations takes about seven years. And at year six, I started doing gay weddings, which are not allowed in the Methodist church. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Amen, and, brother. Yep. You're here. And though they tried to fire me, they never were successful. And uh, in the end, I quit them because the Methodist Church is, is refusing to uh, find a place for everyone at the table. So I don't want to be a part of that. Wow. Well, we're certainly happy you're here part of our table, sure. When, when you were a, a, a minister, did you use the puppets? Absolutely. Oh, my really? God. Really? Even for grown-up? Oh, grown-ups love them. You saw the grown-ups sitting in there and just oh, totally was, glued to it. Yes. I was really into it. Uh, I loved it. How much, this may seem like a dumb question, but uh, how much do you actually have to study the Bible in order to, to become a minister? How familiar do you have to be with the text? Surprisingly little. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of, of sort of... Um, uh, theology more than scripture. It's mm -hmm. a lot of looking at different interpretations and how we have developed our understanding over uh, throughout history of our relationship to God. And you are you yourself are very familiar with the King James Bible, but the Methodists don't use that as their primary text. Is that right? No. A lot of the less um, conservative denominations primarily use the New Revised Standard Version, mm -hmm. NRSV. And and for for those who don't know, can you summarize sort of what the, the general difference is between um, the a lot of it's just little minor language things. So, like the difference between brass and and copper and Bra oh. yeah, brass and bronze, bronze brass and bronze. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight. As far as our game goes, uh, you heard the question that we asked Glenn. We wanted to know who are the three oldest people in the King James Bible. Helen, let's remind everyone of Glenn's first answer. Glenn said Methuselah. And uh, Jason, absolutely, that is one of them. That's a point for Glenn. Uh, Helen, what was the second answer that Glenn gave us as far as uh, the three oldest people in the King James yeah. Bible? Glenn said Cain. And Jason? Nope, sorry. No, yeah. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. And let's get to the third answer that Glenn gave. Glenn said Adam. Adam's got to be it, right? He's it the was first a great guy guess, mentioned. but no. Oh, he was not? No. No, so who were, the, who were the other two oldest ones? So they're all actually related. So they, um, one is Jared, who basically nobody has ever heard of. Or, <laughs> I mean, like... Aww. And the other one was Noah. Oh, of Ark fame. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while we have Jason, is there anything you'd like to ask him, uh, Glenn, about the King James Bible or about Methodist ministry? I, I just wish there had been more puppets when I was, <laughs> when I was learning this. It would have been a lot easier. I and think I, we got a title for your autobiography. More puppets. More puppets. Yeah. 
Excellent. And Jason, if people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they do that? Um, my Twitter handle is my pen is broke. Which, if you spell that out, you'll find another word. But. Use your adult <laughs> minds, adult ears. Um, and I prim- primarily use that uh, for responding to social issues. Well, we're certainly glad you're doing that, and we're certainly glad that you joined us here. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Hill. Thank you. Helen, how about a score recap at the end of that segment? At the end of that round, Glenn Washington has four and a half points, and Allison Becker has one and a half points with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Allison about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Allison and Glenn will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hello, I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher, hosts of MaximumFun.org's Ono, Ross, and Carrie. We wanted to tell you the good news that our podcast is now weekly. Yeah, weekly. On Ono, Ross, and Carrie, we don't make extraordinary claims. We investigate them. We go undercover with fringe religious groups, investigate paranormal claims, and participate in pseudoscientific medical treatments and report our findings to you. In a time where alternative facts reign supreme, we cut through the murky spin to give you the real deal on topics like UFOs, the anti-vaccination, movement, Scientology, and even apocalyptic churches. We're even undercover for some very exciting investigations right now. Well, not right now, right now. Yeah, that would be unwise. That's Ono, Ross, and Carrie at MaximumFun.org. We show up so you don't have to. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Glenn Washington with four and a half points and Allison Becker with a point and a half. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Allison Becker, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Divorce Ranches, Seinfeld episodes, and Bon Jovi. Today we're going to talk to you about Divorce Ranches. Oh my god! I am so happy we're talking about this because I'm fascinated. Why and how is my first question, um, I think. I was getting my nails done and I was reading a magazine because it's the only place I read magazines and there was an article in I think Bust Magazine about this woman who stayed on a divorce ranch and I was like, what is this? Um, and I kind of fell down an internet hole and it was actually a rather shallow hole. There's not a <laughs> lot written about it. It is a very unexplored area of history that not a lot of people know about. Um, there was like a little thing on Mad Men where they were like, uh, oh, Betty Draper's going off to Reno. And it was insinuated that she mm-hmm. went to a divorce ranch, but uh, it's never been explored. Um, and I just became fascinated by it. And I've been in touch with a couple other, like the two other historians, uh, other historians like I am one. <laughs> um, but, other, but these people who are really uh, writing about this and exploring it. And I just want to talk about it because especially for women, it's a very underexplored um, area. And also for uh, Native Americans who often worked on the ranches and their oh. story is, as you know, very underrepresented in our mm-hmm. culture. So Wait, so just to clarify, this was in an era when divorce wasn't that prevalent. Yes, it and was still taboo. Um, so a lot of these women were like more were wealthier socialites who went to these divorce ranches for privacy. Um, there were also a lot of celebrities who went to these divorce ranches. Um, and yeah, it was just a fascinating or some women who didn't have money would go and then work the ranches. Mm. <gasps> they would like work in the kitchen or something and pay their way that way. So so. And most of them were in Nevada, you said. They were all in Nevada in the beginning, uh, most of them around Reno. And because it was six weeks to establish your residency, it became known as the six-week cure. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, it's the name of my show. And <laughs> don't take it. Um, and all this like fun language popped up around it, like, oh, she's getting renovated and <gasps> things like Ooh, that. And there was all I this like fun um just lore around it. Like there's a bridge in Reno where women would go and like take their wedding rings after they got uh, divorced and they would throw them into the river. <gasps> and fun. I'm just like, oh, this is such a great story. <laughs> Wait, so would it would the women go of their own accord because they wanted to get the divorce or the men would send them because they wanted to Usually divorce it was them. it was uh the latter. Usually the men would send the women and sometimes <gasps> these women didn't want a divorce. Sometimes it was it was uh it was equal. Uh, they both wanted it. But then all of a sudden you're in the middle of the desert with uh, with a uh, dude ranch hands. Yeah, exactly. And things are going to things are going to oh, happen. Things got sexy, guys. <laughs> um and it all this drama came out of it because sometimes one woman's soon to be ex-husband would be another woman's future husband. What? what? And you would bring them along and they were called your spare because they were the person you were going to marry what? when you got a divorce. It was so fun. And was this like in the 50s mostly? This started uh, in 1931 and oh. I think and went to the late 50s. Wow. Yes. And then divorce sort of became And then more... you could get it anywhere you wanted. Right. Because before that you needed like in order to get a divorce there were only like three ways you could get a divorce. Uh, one of them was if your husband let's be honest uh, if your husband committed adultery it was usually him you needed photographic proof what uh meaning you had to catch him in the act with a old-timey camera yeah. <laughs> uh, and hold even, on while i put this glass exactly. plate in yeah. <laughs> and even then uh you had to live with him for as long as a year so if he was abusive to these mm. women they would often have to live with this guy for a year before they could get a divorce so nevada was like uh we need uh people to come out because it was after their gold and silver mines had been picked dry no one was living there and they were like well let's make divorce and gambling legal come on out yeah <laughs> and it god worked. bless it nevada worked, it worked. Absolutely. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in divorce ranches oh, wow. to test your mastery. <laughs> but before that, to give you a chance to show off your five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints for these five questions. Okay. Now, Glenn, do listen closely because you can steal if Allison happens to get any of them wrong. <laughs> Glenn, Glenn's by the way, face. how much yeah. do you know about divorce ranches? I know less than nothing about okay. divorce <laughs> Well, this might be the first game with negative points. We'll yeah. see what happens. All right, Allison Becker, here's your first question about divorce ranches. I think you're going to get this. Radio personality Walter Winchell coined a new term for divorce based on the name of a Nevada city that had a high concentration of divorce ranches, a city that came to be known as the divorce capital of the United States. What was that city? Renovation Reno. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. Also known as the biggest little city in the world. I think you might do well on this one as well. Allison, how many weeks were required to stay at a divorce ranch? Guys, come to on. To establish Nevada residency? Six. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get to the Methuselah-type question soon enough. Your two for two here is question number three. Based in part on the writer's experience at a divorce ranch, what play and movie features the breakup of Mary Haynes' marriage? Uh, Arthur Miller was the writer, and the movie and the play was called The Women. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It was the women. <laughs> Not sure about the uh, the second part, but we were asking for the women, and that is correct. Mary Haynes, by the way, was played by Norma Shearer. Three for three. Here's number four. 
Divorce ranches weren't just for the ladies. A famous writer moved to a divorce ranch in 1956 to divorce his wife, Mary, so he could wed what much more famous lady three weeks after the divorce. That was Arthur Miller, and that was Marilyn Monroe. Helen? That is correct. That is correct, and that was Arthur Miller. Wow. And the, the, the writer wrote a movie for his new wife to star in, based yeah. in part on his, his stay. And you know what that was called? That was called The Women. No, that was called The Misfits. Oh, that oh was the Misfits. you're right. I did know that one. Yes. The I wish we could deduct points, but it doesn't seem fair. Okay. No, no. Uh, you are four for four, going for number five. All right, I'm nervous. As we've shown, many famous people spent time at a divorce ranch. But which of these famous people or their spouse neither spent time at a divorce ranch nor got divorced? Okay. Gypsy Rose Lee, General Douglas MacArthur, Gloria Vanderbilt, Norman Rockwell, or Jimmy Stewart? I know Gypsy, Lo- Gypsy Rose Lee was definitely there. Um, oh, I don't know about the other ones. You do have a hint available if you'd like okay, to Okay, yeah, I it. like the hint. Helen, how about that hint? Norman Rockwell did get divorced in Reno. Okay, so it wasn't Norman Rockwell. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not... Uh, I'm going to guess Jimmy Stewart. Helen? That is correct! Yes! Allison Becker, five for five! Wow. Killing Amazing. it. Amazing. Good use of the hint. Thank Excellent you. Use of Thank the hint. you. All right, now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. All right. Ooh. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> he lives Thank for that. Thank you, guys. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The correct answer is worth up to three points. According to state law, there were nine different grounds for divorce in Nevada during the divorce ranch era. For up to three points, name three of them. I Okay. Uh, adultery? Uh, I know that one of the ones they added was like much more lenient than than what I w- was describing earlier. So I want to say it was something like irreconcilable differences. Okay. Uh, so that's my second one, and the third one, infertility. Infertility. We, yeah. All right. So we've we have uh, adultery, irreconcilable yes. differences, and infertility. Yeah, I think that All right, Helen. Wrong, but go for it. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is a teacher of history at Stanford University who earned a Mellon Grant to write her honors thesis on divorce ranches in 20th century Nevada. It's Teresa Eicher. Teresa Eicher. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited you're here. I can can tell. I can really tell. Yeah, I was going to say, between the two of you, who who would be most excited to finally be able to talk about this with another human being? I don't know. I think it's a tie. Yeah, it definitely definitely is. I I feel like Allison is almost as excited as she was when she met Bon Jovi. I really am. I really am. She didn't make out with me. (laughs) Well, the night is young. still young. Yes, yes. there you go. Uh, Now, now why this topic for you, uh, Teresa? I also found it in a magazine, which is fascinating, but it was actually Vogue in 2012. Um, This person got divorced in 1970 at a divorce ranch. Um, Her name was Lily Tuck. She's actually a famous journalist. And I was shocked. I thought the words divorce and ranch could not possibly go together. (laughs) Um, I thought it was like a typo. (laughs) And then um, I also spoke with a woman named Mary Lou Norton. Oh, I read her book. (laughs) who wrote the book Unbridled about her experience. She's a novelist and an artist, and she got divorced in 1954, and she's still alive, and she gave an interview with me. Wow. And I spoke with... I want to meet her so bad, too. Yeah, she would be happy to, I'm sure. Um, And then I met with two women who actually owned a divorce ranch with their mother, so that was fantastic. And then I got to go to the archives, I hung out in Reno, went to the same courthouse and river where the rings were tossed in. It was an amazing summer. Can we go back together? (laughs) Let's go! 
Allison is freaking out. Wait, so they don't still exist now, do they? The divorce ranches don't exist now. They've actually all been demolished, I think. They oh. are, are actually one burned to the ground as well. I don't think it was an um, angry divorcee, though. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how recently were they around? So they actually lasted until the mid-1970s, and that relates to another project that I'm working on, which is looking at how no-fault divorce began to pass throughout the United States. Once no-fault divorce passed, it was super easy to get divorced. You didn't actually need these vacation spots to get divorced anymore because every state allowed divorce um, with no reason to actually sue the other person so no fault means mm -hmm. no one's at fault no one's adversarial mm -hmm. And what did you learn from doing this research that you were surprised by that you didn't know before? I was really surprised by the amount of sex that went down at these ranches. <laughs> that was documented in the archives? Um, based on my interviews. Oh, okay. And I also was really delighted to hear that there was a lot of um, same-sex relationships going on oh. and a lot of, um, yeah, among the women. And um, there's actually a cult classic film called Desert Hearts that was filmed about women finding love at the divorce ranches, not least to say that there were also some hetero relationships with those sexy ranch hands. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh my God, that must have been fun for the, the dudes who worked there. It was apparently a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because every few days, like a new yeah. shipment of women would get off the train and they were like, okay. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, hey, worst case scenario, it's only going to be six weeks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. I'm saying for, for people who feel that way about uh, relationships. This is... <laughs> Hi, honey, if you're listening, my girlfriend, I love you. And... <laughs> This is making me want to go back in a time capsule and go be a divorcee at a ranch. Like, this sounds like a blast. Well, there must have been some downsides as well. What, what, what were some of the not-so-fun parts? The person that I spoke with, Mary Lou Norton, who divorced in 1954, was one woman that Allison was referencing earlier who wouldn't have wanted the divorce. Mm. Her husband literally came home and said, I don't want to be married to you anymore. <gasps> There's a place I can send you. So she was schlepped out from Connecticut. With to her kid. So she came with her four-year-old son. What? But she had just given birth, not even, I think, a month before to their daughter. And um, actually, Mad Men is inaccurate because it shows Betty Draper leaving with her small child, baby Jean, um, in the middle seat. And actually, divorce ranches didn't allow kids under the age of about five because it was wow. too distracting. Um, well, and there so was so from, much from, sex from, I have going all on. that stuff going on. Um, and so Mary Lou had to leave her infant. And obviously, like six weeks away from a newborn is a tremendous amount of time. And she was completely shell-shocked. She arrived there as a young mother, having no idea what to expect. And she had to put on a brave face for their four-year-old son, <gasps> who was completely perplexed as to where his dad was. Wow. So some definite heartbreak at the ranches. Wow. Did well, she end up having a happy ending? She did. She found an amazing new husband after she moved to Denver, and then they had, I think, four children and a great long marriage. Wow. Oh, yeah. She was doing it. She was. She's <laughs> Thanks for saving that, Helen. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked Allison. We wanted to know three of the nine grounds for divorce that Nevada stipulated uh, back in the divorce ranch era. Uh, Helen, let's remind everyone of the first answer that Allison gave us. Allison said adultery. Adultery is correct, and it was one of the most common ground nationwide. All right, that's one point for Allison. <laughs> Helen, what was that second grounds that Allison said? Allison said irreconcilable differences. So close. I know what Allison was grasping toward, which was this really broad category of marital breakdown that Reno coined, or Nevada coined, called um, mental cruelty. Yes! Um, which I saw as loosely applied as my husband might be a German spy during World War II. Ooh. And someone else who said that um, her husband 
crinkled and folded his newspaper in a very annoying and loud way. <laughs> so really broad definitional standard. However, yeah, the, the difference is one was actually the language used for no-fault divorce later, so that's going to be a no-point. Okay. So no-point there. And then All finally, right. Helen, what was the third grounds that Allison gave us? Allison said infertility. I'm going to give her the point on that one because it's actually impotence, and this is a fascinating divorce fact. Um, since the Puritans, impotence has been a recognized ground in several different states, but you actually can't just leave your wife if she can't have kids. Impotence refers to a man who can't reproduce. Yeah. So, That's not, what you meant. I didn't even yeah. realize. That's so, right. not, so not, infer- yeah, so not yeah. infertility quite, but impotence, impotence specifically, yeah. but I'll, I'll give her that one. Because All right, we're going to get the points. So that's two points on that for Allison. Uh, the other grounds, by the way, were uh, desertion. Conviction of a felony, habitual drunkenness, neglect to provide the common necessities of life, insanity, living apart for three years, and then, as you said, extreme mental cruelty. Very good. All right. Uh, Is there anything else either of you would like to ask of our expert while we have her here? Oh, wow. I mean, just, yeah, I want to sit with both of you. I need to know about cults, and I need to know more about the divorce family. It's going to be a fun dinner. Yeah, I should point out, we do cover happy topics sometimes on this show. (laughs) Don't give up. Don't give up on Go Fact Yourself. Wait, I do actually have a question for you. Is it... Now, from my research, I have found that most most of them are with the men sending them. But were there a lot of women who were like, screw you, I'm out of here? I think a decent amount of women came of their own accord. I don't have the stats on it, but I would love to do a deeper dive later and find out more reasoning behind but it. Would they need their? would they need the consent eventually from the dude? Yes, so it can't be a contested okay, divorce. That's what if, I it, if it were okay. contested, then um, attorneys back home would have filed suit, and then it wouldn't be six weeks. That did happen sometimes. So the six-week cure became like a six-month headache. Yeah. Okay. And if people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they do that? They can currently just go to the Stanford History website and look up students I come up. But as of right now, um, my only other major publication is a Huffington Post article from 2014. Um, I'm in my baby stage of dissertating where I am reading and writing a ton. But check back in two years and I should have something better for you. We certainly will. We're certainly happy that you joined us. Teresa Eicher. Helen, let's get a score update as we go into our final round. At the end of that round, Glenn Washington has four and a half points, and Allison Becker has eight and a half points. And now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Glenn and alternate between each guest, and we'll keep the discussion to a minimum. Each correct answer is worth one point. This should determine the winner. Here we begin. Glenn, Game of Thrones airs on HBO. True. Correct. Allison, Breaking Bad aired on HBO. False. Correct. That's right. It was on AMC. Glenn, HBO was originally named the Green Channel. False. Incorrect. No, it really was. Allison, Meet the Press is the longest running show in TV history. False. Incorrect. No, that is true. Glenn, Grease was the most produced musical by high schools in 2016. True. Incorrect. No, it was the Addams Family musical. Not making it up. I don't understand kids today. I really do not. Allison, Grease was the most produced musical by high schools in 2017. True. Incorrect. No, it was The Addams Family. (laughs) For the third year in a row, these kids love spooky-ooky. Glenn, the first episode of Beverly Hills 90210 aired in the 1980s. True. Incorrect. No, the first episode was in 1990. Allison, the last episode of Beverly Hills 90210 aired in the 2000s. True. Correct. That's right, May of 2000. Glenn, I, J. Keith Van Stratton, appeared on an episode of Beverly Hills 90210. True. Correct. (laughs) 
Allison, my big scene with Ian Zeering was cut. True. Correct. Oh, no! Glenn, I'm not bitter about it. False. That was a fake question. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's give a nice hand to both of our guests, Glenn Washington and Allison Becker, while Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the final score of tonight's episode of Go Fact Yourself? I am at the end of the game. Glenn Washington has six and a half points, and Allison Becker has 11 and a half points. Congratulations, a runaway win. Allison Becker, well well you are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Allison, what will you do with your championship? I just want to walk around telling everyone how smart I am. <laughs> As that's you pretty, should. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, much what most yeah. people do. That's what we do. Yeah, absolutely. We want to give uh, everyone here a chance to promote uh, any upcoming products, appearances, or services. Glenn, where can people find you? They can find me on the uh, Snap Judgment podcast and check out uh, the, uh, the Heaven Skate podcast if you haven't. And this fall, the return of Spooked. <gasps> oh, that's a good one. Allison Becker, what about yourself? Um, I'm on the socials, uh, Twitter and Instagram at the Allison Becker. Allison is one L. And I'm in, like you said, the upcoming uh, Max Fun Podcast Bubble. I'm also on an upcoming Netflix show uh, called Best Worst Weekend Ever. It's a kids show if you have kids. And also, like I said, my improv business, accessimprov.com. Allison Becker, thanks so much for being here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize how lucky you are because your co-host is Ms. Helen Hong? <laughs> I think they do. I think they realize it. <laughs> Helen, what do you have going on, my friend? You can follow me on the socials at funny Helen Hong. <laughs> because some other bitch named Helen Hong has my handles. And uh, I have yet to find her. At funny Helen Hong. Follow In me there. Indeed she is funny Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith and on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Allison Becker, Glenn Washington, Jason Hill, Teresa Eicher, Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. <laughs> Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Amakakak6632 <laughs> did. He, she, or they said, love it. Very entertaining and makes you think. Thanks, Amakakak6632. <laughs> Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from Max Fun Con in Lake Arrowhead. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Stephen Cologne is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Eric Westra, Leora Saul, Mike Avellanos, Ross Blotcher, Daniela Zeltzer, and Christine Velada. I'm Helen Hong. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.